Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Welcome again on this Father's Day. Uh, I commend you fathers who led your uh, family to church this morning. Uh, There's so many things that we could be doing on a day like today, but to to put the gathering together as a priority uh, is, a, is a really important thing, and it just fits with the, with the themes this morning as we were seeing these high schoolers that have been raised in the faith and these babies that are just now uh, being raised in the faith. And uh, yeah, it's such good times. You know, last week um, we had our membership orientation class, and uh, a, a number of you that are new to our church came just to hear about kind of who we are as a church. And some of you I've, I've known for weeks uh, but I've never seen you without a mask on. And we, at, our, at our lunch, we, the masks came off, and I, and I realized I could have walked by some of you without a mask and never known that you've been a part of our church. Uh, I, I know you, but I wouldn't have recognized you. Uh, and probably one of my favorite, uh, or one of the best uh, kind of COVID uh, kind of jokes that happened, just happened this morning to me when um, somebody I've known since I was a little kid uh, walked in with Jane, one of our, our church members, uh, arm in arm. So I just assumed this person was a family member of Jane's. And then she took her, her mask off, and it was a, fr- a family friend uh, Sharon. Could you just raise your hand? I don't usually put guests on the spot. I have known Sharon since, I, well, and actually, I probably shouldn't do this because now people are going to come and say, tell us the real Andrew. Tell us about when he was 10. Uh, but I've known Sharon for, for years, and I had no idea she was going to be here this morning. And she walks in with her mask, arm and she pulls her mask down, and I about lost it. Uh, so anyways, I, I, the reason I'm thinking this is next week, we're going to be meeting outside across the lawn. And if you want to wear a mask, nobody's going to judge you for that, but you don't need to wear a mask. Uh, and I'm looking forward to just being able to see more faces and, and as the good news continues to come about the end of this pandemic, it's really exciting. Um, I know we have a number of guests this morning. I know it's Father's Day, so there's a lot of plans as well. Um, if you haven't been with us, we're walking through verse by verse the book of First Peter. And as a pastor here, there's times where, where I'll do theme kind of topical messages. We did one on the kingdom of God. But I see the value of taking God's word for what it is and just walking through it in the context that it was meant to be read originally. So in saying that, we're taking this slowly. And if this is your first time with us and you haven't read the previous couple chapters of 1 Peter, you're going to be like, what is this about? Um, so I want to give you just a little bit of context. It's kind of like jumping in the middle of a TV series. Um, this, the, the book of 1 Peter was written to this new community of Christians that were wrestling with how to live out their faith in a culture that is not cool with it. They, they think that, that Christians are weird at best, but a threat at worst. And so there's increasing hostility towards these Jesus followers. And so Peter writes this letter to be distributed to these churches. And so we've been in this, and, and really the themes of it you see on the slide are, are holding on to hope. First Peter chapter 1 says we have a living hope because of who Jesus is. Pursuing holiness that is becoming more like Christ and recognizing that as Christians, we're, we are set apart from the rest of the world. And then within that, how do we deal with the hostility that's sure to come? And why do we know it's sure to come? Because Jesus said it would. 
He said, if you are going to follow me, expect suffering. That, that's like, if we were trying to like have a promotional campaign for why everybody should go to church, that's not what we would put on the signs, right? I wouldn't say, hey, hey, come and follow Jesus. It's going to be really hard. You, you may lose your family and your friends. The, the culture at large may ostracize you and marginalize you. But boy, isn't that a great thing? Like, that's not the, the campaign we come up with. But we understand what following Jesus means. It means a, a whole new identity, a, a transformed way of thinking that we can be forgiven from our sin, that our past issues don't define our future. And so this is the context that First Peter is being written to. And so we've been walking through this last week. Um, the challenge that, that Peter said is, hey, even though people are being hostile towards you, still be good citizens. Still respect your authority. Still honor the emperor. And so he gets even more personal in our text today. Um, and really what we see is, so you have this new identity. How do you apply it in your home? How do you apply it in unjust circumstances? How do you apply it in your marriage? So if you've never been to a church before, or you've never been to our church before, the center of our faith and of our Christian practice is God's Word. So that's what we're going to read here this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the pew in front of you. We want you to take it. Uh, take the Bible. It's not stealing. We're giving it to you. Take the Bible if you don't own one. And what we're going to do is maybe... I hope you've done this in church before, but sometimes as pastors, we feel like it takes too much time. I hope you've read the Bible in church. Can I just, is it, I don't want people to raise their hands. So we're going to have you do right now is we're going to have you uh, read this passage. It's a little bit lengthy. First Peter chapter two, verses 18. I want you to read all the way through three, verse seven. I want you to think about the context that this is written to. And I want you to ask the question, what, what does that word mean? And as you read it, um, I want you to keep in mind that the center of society, the Roman Empire, the center of society in the Roman Empire was the home. Everything in society came out of the home. And so it was extremely important for early Christians to figure out how does their new identity influence the home. And what we're going to see, what you're going to see as you read this, is a challenge to keep God in mind, to keep the message of the gospel in mind in your homes. So go ahead and just take a moment right now and read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through 3, 7.
Father, we just ask as we've read these words and as there's even trigger words in this text and there's confusion and there's questions and there's wondering, what does this all mean? We pray this morning that you would lead us into truth. Lord, that we would be able to keep the main thing the main thing, just as Peter desired for the readers of this letter 2,000 years ago. That we as a church, as your people, might glorify you in all that we do. So would you speak this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this last week, I, got, I saw this, this message on a, uh, on a group on Facebook, a bunch of pastors from the Seattle area. And this pastor said, this woman in their neighborhood just had this miraculous dream. And this woman, she was a, she's a Somali Muslim. And she just had this miraculous dream where she was brought into a divine light from her darkness. And in that, she met a figure who told her that he was Jesus the Messiah and wants to save her. She woke up the next morning and she immediately reached out to one family that she knew that were Christians that went to this pastor's church. And I thought, what on earth? I don't know anything else. I don't know if she's ever heard anything about Jesus before or not, but I know that in that very moment, Jesus spoke to her in her dreams, and her life's never going to be the same. When we think about the church, and when we think about how Jesus makes himself known, the primary way that God has chosen to make himself known is through the church. Now, when we say church, we're not talking about a building or an organization. We're talking about you, all y'all. Everybody who's placed their faith in Jesus. And we see this in Matthew 28. Jesus says to his followers, go and make disciples. In Acts 1.8, he says, you are going to be witnesses for me. You're going to tell people about me wherever you go, whatever city, whatever province, whatever nation. And then we saw in 1 Peter earlier as we were walking through this together, that when we've received the mercy of God, we then just have to tell people about it. Just declare the praises of who God is. We just did that in song, and we did that in a variety of ways this morning. We, it happened this, earlier this week across the field as we had a barbecue, declaring the praises of God. So as people give their life to Christ, there is often this immediate tug of war in their lives. Because with this new identity comes a new way of seeing and understanding the world around them. And sometimes there are these two kind of options. Man, do I continue to, to submit to the way that I was living before and the environment that I was in? Or as a Christian, do I now rebel against that? Say, no, things have changed. I'm a free person. Well, what do we do? In John uh, or in Acts chapter 4, Peter, who wrote this letter when he was younger, and his friend John were preaching the gospel. And in one of their encounters, they healed a man. And all these religious people started freaking out because, because not only did they not like this message of the gospel, but now there was like this miraculous authority backing it up. So they're like, man, we're in trouble. So these leaders, they bring in Peter and John and they, they threaten them. They say, you need to stop sharing this message. Stop talking about Jesus. So they're faced with an option. This is the same Peter who wrote that we're to submit to the authorities. In, in this letter. So Peter's faced with an option. Do I, in this case, submit to what the authorities are telling me to do, or do I rebel against them and continue to preach the gospel? Well, for Peter, it was an easy one. Jesus said, do this, so I'm going to do it. And basically, as he was leaving, he told the leaders, 
do what you want. I'm going to keep spreading the gospel. And he did. History is full of these type of people that they lived in a certain culture, and certain environment, and their Christian faith immediately transformed the way that they saw the world around them. A man named William Wilberforce, who was a part of the slave trade in England. He became a Christian, then he went, wait a second, this culturally acceptable practice is not compatible with my Christian faith. And he became an outspoken abolitionist. We've seen this in communist countries in, in Eastern Europe back in the 40s and 50s, today in China, where the government is doing whatever it can to stamp out Christianity. And Christians are saying, hey, we're not going to be quiet. We're going to continue to gather, continue to worship. We saw this in the civil rights movement in America. The primary leaders of the civil rights movement were Christians. And what they were doing was they were applying their faith to unjust systems in the United States. They're saying, we can't be silent anymore. And so they found out ways to be humbly rebellious toward unjust systems. So the natural outcome of the gospel of Jesus in our lives is that we begin to see things differently and we naturally take our eyes off of ourselves and we become others-oriented. This happens kind of in two ways. First, it, it happens in an inward way. Jesus transforms me, and I'm, I'm a child of God, and now my identity's changed. I'm holy, I'm chosen, I'm a royal priesthood, as we read in 1 Peter. But then it also begins to take shape outside of us. It begins to work its way into our families, into our jobs. And we desire to see peace and provision for our neighborhoods, justice and joy for our communities, protection and freedom for our families. And so in our passage today, the words we just read are part of this challenge to live out this Christ-bought identity in a way that is others-oriented. And while the culture around us may be unjust, the first place our identity is to be lived out in is not out there, but in here, right where we live, in our homes. So what should that look like? Rebellion or submission. In the text we just read, there's three key relationships in the Roman household that are challenged to consider how their new identity should be lived out in their current role. The three key relationships. Husband, wife, and slave or servant. Two of these many of us can relate with, but this idea of being a Christian slave, not so much. So we're going to look at these real briefly here this morning. Uh, the first challenge is to suffer well. And this is directed toward those that would be slaves or servants in the Roman household. What does he say? He says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong? And endure it. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. What we just read is one of several places where the New Testament addresses those who are slaves, or you could say servants. And this address to slaves and servants, along with the words we read to wives, is radically counterculture. 
The fact that they would even be mentioned and addressed is already bucking against the culture. And so what Peter's unpacking here is that this changed identity of those who have been redeemed by Jesus and reunited with God, the most marginalized people in society are hearing that they are chosen, are royal people, a priesthood, holy people. And so we can imagine as this reality was taking place, taking root in their hearts, they were looking at their current position as servants and slaves and households and saying, that's it, I'm out of here. If that's who I am now, peace, I'm going to jet. But Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, wait, hold on. Your identity has changed. It's changed for the better. But I want you to know how to identify with Christ in your current role. The Greek word translated slave in many of our Bibles is oiketas. And this this can mean servant. Um, It can mean almost like an employee in uh, a business. But it can also mean like we would imagine it to be uh, straight up slavery. So up to this point in the world, history, uh, thousands of years of history, slavery had been a common practice for thousands of years in every culture on earth. And the most common cause of slavery in the ancient world was due to war. Basically, a conquering country would go in, they would win, and then they would take the people of that country as slaves to do their work. In the Roman world, when this letter was written, it's estimated that in some cities, up to one-third of the residents were slaves. And Rome, where this letter was written from, may have been up to 50%. And so as the Roman Empire expanded due to military actions, so did slavery. But there's different kinds of slavery in the ancient world. Some was slavery as punishment. There was no prisons and jails. So if you were caught doing something wrong, you had to work off your debt literally. Sometimes slavery was paying off a monetary debt. You couldn't afford something, and so you would become like an indentured servant in a household until you could pay off what you were owed. Sometimes slavery was actually a willing servitude. If the choice was between being homeless or being without and working for somebody, almost like a a farmhand, then you could willingly put yourself into the service of somebody as their slave. Um, Oftentimes, as I mentioned earlier, slavery was due to war as well. In the household, uh, in the Roman Empire, slaves were often paid and often provided for. Uh, Many slaves could eventually buy their freedom, whether it's debt that they owed or others. And in Jewish households, slaves were set free after seven years, a type of debt forgiveness. So when we think of slavery, we read this through our our American kind of 21st century mindset, we immediately probably go to chattel slavery, which is a terrible stain on our country. But slavery, when this was written, wasn't just based on ethnic oppression or racial supremacy. Slavery in the ancient Near East was varied, it was vast, and it was a normal part of society. So does it sound like I'm saying slavery is okay? No. (laughs) Slavery is not compatible with the gospel of Jesus. And it is not justified in any way by the Bible. But 
because of the vast and varied nature of slavery in these early movements of Christianity, there was no way to abolish slavery because it was based on so many different aspects of culture. So in the early days of Christianity, as thousands of slaves were putting their faith in Jesus, the challenge to those who were in, in slavery or were servants in households was not to, to run to freedom or to overthrow their boss or to say, I don't owe you any money anymore. I'm going to stop working. The challenge was to identify with Christ. Of, of the three different people that are mentioned in the text we just read, Peter takes a direct line from those that are servants and slaves to identifying with Jesus. He says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What is Peter saying? He's saying, hey, of all the people in society that can most closely identify with what Christ has gone through, it is you. Whoa, really? The most depressed, marginalized people in society. There's a direct connection between what they are experiencing and what Jesus has done for them. And, and not only that, but Peter wants these people to know that Jesus had them in mind when he suffered and when he died on the cross. And, and he wants them to know that this, while someday, well, right now, you, somebody else is overseeing you, while you owe a debt to them, someday you're going to meet Jesus, and he is the ultimate overseer of your souls. He sees you now, and he has gone before you, and you are an heir with him in the riches of the kingdom. So this was actually super subversive and very radical in the Roman Empire, that slaves would be even addressed, but that they would be given this identification with Christ, and that they'd be given a future hope to look forward to despite their current circumstances. You know, when we think about American Christianity, I think American Christianity has a deficient understanding of suffering. We do whatever we can to avoid hardship, hurt feelings, or difficult situations. And so often in our lives, it's fight or flight. We do it with our own family members. Oh, we had a disagreement. Forget you. I'm out. We see this in cancel culture, that we're just going to run away from the problem instead of having to wade into it and deal with the things that are happening. And so we miss out on the opportunity to make God known when we just go with the flow of the culture. And so we need to ask ourselves, what if the only person who could share the gospel to that terrible boss that you have is you? What if God would want to use you in that unjust circumstance to make Jesus known? What if God chose you to make him known to that unfair sports coach that you had or that teacher that always singles you out in class. Our model for how to deal with suffering and hostility in the world that we live in, our model is Jesus. Jesus never put on a happy face when he suffered. 
but he was willing to suffer death on a cross because he cared more about yours and my eternity than his temporary suffering. He had an other's orientation in his mindset. I just recently reread a book about Chinese house church named pastor named Brother Yoon. And Brother Yoon uh, has been imprisoned a number of times, beaten horribly for continuing to preach the gospel. And he was addressing the church in the West. And he says, hey, don't pray that our suffering will end. Pray that we have the strength to endure it. Because he has seen uniquely how through his suffering, Christ has been made known. If you haven't read that book, I highly recommend it. called Heavenly Man. Some of the most incredible stories of faith came through the prison that he was in. So the rebellion against suffering and injustice isn't for us to pretend to enjoy it. No, this is not put on a happy face Christianity. But instead, it's to ask God for the strength to endure it so that he might be glorified. And so this is what Paul, or this is what Peter is wanting those that are in these servant-type relationships to consider how Jesus might be glorified. The instructions then turn to another part of the Roman household, the institution of marriage. And Peter makes a connection between wives and the previous passage. The second most oppressed and marginalized group in society when this was written was women. Women in the Roman Empire did not have the rights of men. They did not have places of power or privilege. And the very fact that both slaves and women were being addressed is a massive elevation of their worth. So we already see that the gospel is subverting the culture in speaking to these marginalized people. And I can imagine as this letter was being read to the church that it was stirring the cultural pot a bit. Because typically men were it. And so it was probably a man who wrote this letter when they received it in the church. And I can imagine he's like, oh, we got this letter from Peter. And he's challenging us to, to hold on to the hope. Oh, isn't that great? And he's saying, hey, we have this new identity as heirs and holy people. And oh, man, isn't that great? And now, oh, wow, now he's going to get really specific and he's going to address slaves. And all of a sudden, the Christian man that's holding this has to think about, well, he may have one in his house. And, and then he goes, oh, and now, and now he's going to address wives. And immediately this is, this is stirring the pot. This is elevating the worth of these people and it's, it's putting everybody on this equal playing ground. And so the challenge for wives. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. In the same way, essentially what he's saying is, I want you to think differently as well. I want you to be others-oriented as well. I want you to know that you are uniquely positioned to be a gospel presentation to your husband. Submit to your husbands so that they might be one to the faith. Now there's a word in here that 100 years ago or so in our culture might have landed a bit differently than it does now. The word submit, it makes us bristle, all of us, men and women. Jessica and I talked about this a little bit ago in our Kingdom Come series. But in this challenge, uh, this call to, to submit 
It's really a, a call to have a, a kind of a humble rebellion toward the husband that may not be a believer. Let me explain that here. The religious beliefs of the household in the Roman Empire were dictated by the man, by the husband. If the husband worshipped at this temple, the family worshipped at this temple. If the husband was a pagan, the family was a pagan. And so the very fact that a woman might have a different belief than her husband, and that's okay, is already counterculture. Then the word submit. We have to wrestle with that in our first century context, but it's really a desire to be others-oriented, to be oriented towards your husband, to love him in such a way that you prefer him. And this is not a command to be a doormat or to participate in sinful behavior. Let me make that very clear. However, this is 100% grounded in the vision for the unbelieving husband to become a believing husband. And so the, the orientation for the wife is that, to love and respect her husband in a way that points her to Jesus without nagging him, without preaching at him, without saying, I wish you'd go to church with me, but to just love him well. He knows. He knows what you believe. He knows your commitment to Christ. But if you would love him in such a way that he might see Christ in you, and we have stories of that in our church. So Peter then includes another challenge to, to women, to wives in particular, that was most likely a cultural distraction for the women of the day. And he essentially, it say, he says, it's more important to cultivate inner beauty than get distracted with the fashion trends of the day. He says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way that the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So what Peter is saying is, this is not a command to dress plainly, like... Don't take care of yourself. Don't brush your hair. Like, don't do any of those, you know. No, this is not that. But what he's saying is make inner beauty the most important thing. What are you dressed in? He uses Sarah as an example here. And basically, Sarah honored her husband Abraham in such a way, and he wasn't perfect. Abraham made some weird decisions, weird decisions, and some major leadership mistakes. He wasn't perfect, but she used her words to build him up, not to tear him down. She said, when you, when you read, my Lord, that is essentially like, I, I respect you, I honor you. And so what Peter is challenging the women of the church, and I think this is relevant for us today to do, is to ask them, what are you taking your cues from? As it relates to your standard of beauty, what are you taking your cues from? And this is what he pushes them to in 3.5. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. Inward beauty. So while these challenges have a distinctly first century Roman flavor to them, we don't have to work hard to find 21st century connections. Maybe for you as a woman, nice clothes and jewelry are, are important today. 
Maybe they're not, I don't know. But what our social media culture has trained women to do is to create the most beautiful self-portrait of them possible and to hope that people like it and comment on it, that the outward is the most important thing. The template that Peter is trying to lay here is to let Jesus transform and to lead us from the inside out. That whether you're a believer or whether your husband's a believer or not, that you would speak well of him, that you would pray for him, and you would ask God to make himself known through you to your husband. So lastly, after all these important and valuable words to women and to those that are in positions of servanthood, the attention turns to the leader of the Roman household. And so finally the men are going to get their instructions. And they just get one sentence. (laughs) But it's packed with challenges that are counterculture. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Uh, What sticks out to you in this challenge to the husbands when you read this? Anybody? Yeah, see... Yeah. Amen. Good word. Absolutely. One of the things I'm going to be honest when I read this some years ago is this phrase that says, the weaker partner. (laughs) That doesn't go over well, especially in our current culture. But I, I don't want that phrase to distract you from the point that CJ just made. I think we can... If you want to come up here and finish the message, man, that was pretty good. So. <laughs> what does Peter mean when he says this? It's actually really simple. This may still be offensive to people, but basically what Peter is saying is you may be stronger physically. That's really what this is about. But, do as CJ said, <laughs> be considerate. Treat your wives with respect. Another word for that would be honor and value. And what aspects of the marriage does this apply to? One commentator notes that the language and context that is used here even has intimate overtones. And so the marriage bed is even in view with this challenge to husbands. Radically counterculture in the day that it was written. And the word respect here that is used is the same Greek word, comes from the same Greek root of a word that Peter used earlier when he says to honor the emperor. So CJ, you said, treat him like a queen. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> so that's the idea here is that husbands would respect their wives in that way. They are heirs with you. That is, they are your equal. And so this was, ele- this was an elevating cultural statement. It was a rebellion against the cultural norms of the day that women were of equal value and worth co-heirs with men. And why should they do these things? So that nothing will get between you and God. Nothing will hinder your prayers. I remember when I was younger thinking that I could easily recognize a man who was abusive to his wife. 
I had a picture of what that man would look like, that would, he would dress like, what his demeanor and his attitude would be like. Oh, I'm sure I could pick out an abusive husband, no problem. I was wrong. My wife and I have been foster care parents for a number of years, and one of our kiddos that we took in came from an abusive home, and I remember meeting this little girl's father. I never would have depicted him or imagined that he was abusive behind closed doors to both his wife and to his kids. And so when Peter acknowledges, hey, that men are by nature physically stronger, but we are to essentially serve them with that strength, to elevate their worth, to respect them and to honor them. These words were socially radical back then, but they are still just as relevant for us today. Men who don't honor their wives, don't respect their wives, don't treat them as a sister and a co-heir with Christ are putting up a barrier between them and God. God's not going to hear their prayers. So in all these areas of society, servanthood to marriage, the challenge given to the early church and still to us today is to consider the structures, consider the relationships, consider the roles that we are in today and how we might, instead of standing for our rights, be others-oriented. How we might consider that we might be the only person in this individual's life that can share the gospel with them. That we might be able to submit, and that as we grow in our identity as humble rebels, that we're not afraid to suffer and to submit and to love in such a way that our families and our societies are transformed in Jesus' name. And so in the ways of Jesus, we see that the way of going up is by going down, by being a servant. We see an image of submission that is not weakness, but it's humility rooted in the power of God as his sons and daughters. And we see that the ways of glorifying God are as much about what is reflected in our spirit as is reflected in our words. Whether one of these challenges resonates with you or not today, the theme of this section of 1 Peter is that the gospel of Jesus produces goodness, the goodness of God that is recognizable in our lives. The gospel is not about moralism, but about transformation. So we need to make room for it. And this often means that we push back against the culture we need to continue to look to the example of Jesus. And this often means that we put others before ourselves, live unselfishly. And we need to be prepared to pay the cost. And that often means that we'll experience a degree of hostility or maybe even suffering as we live out this faith that Jesus has given to us. But it is all worth it. Because through Jesus, the lost are found, the broken are healed, and our sinful, disconnected lives are reconnected with the loving God who made us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together with that in mind. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word that is, is challenging, that is corrective, that it reorients us, Lord, in our lives. And Father, as we... Um, as we close out today our worship gathering, 
I ask for those that are in tough relationships, that are in moments and seasons of suffering, that you might give them your perspective, Lord God. Is it time to stand up or is it time to serve? Is it time to to speak out or is it time to pray? Father, whatever the seasons and circumstances we're in, we trust you. Lord, for those that have not put their faith in you, I pray that they would know who you are, that you are a God of transformation, of hope, of peace. They would come to know you, Lord Jesus. Father, would you use us as your church? May we be ready to receive the woman who had a dream or to declare the goodness of who you are to our coworkers or the baristas at the drive-thru. Thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.